Thank you for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. My name is Daniel Friedman. I'm a member of the BJSM editorial team. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. Patrick Hannaway about the gut microbiome for athlete health and performance. Dr. Hannaway is a family physician who has worked as the Director of Medical Education at the Institute for Functional Medicine, as well as the Medical Director at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He now serves as their Director of Research. Dr. Hannaway, thank you for being on the podcast. You're very welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much. I'd like to start by asking you what exactly is the gut microbiome or microbiota? Well, the gut microbiome is that array of uh, bacteria, uh, viruses, parasites, uh, of fungi that are present in our gastrointestinal tract. Uh, we have a microbiome on our skin. We have a microbiome in in the vagina. We have a you know, oral microbiome, a gut microbiome, which is the largest of all the microbiota uh, in the gut. Uh, we also are now finding that we have a microbiota in just about every single tissue. There's a microbiome in the vasculature, in the heart, in every organ. But the largest one of them is in the gastrointestinal tract, and that which comprises nearly 100 trillion, between 50 and 100 trillion uh, bacteria outnumbers significantly the number of cells that we have in our body overall. Uh, They're involved in the uh, uh, digestion and absorption of food, in the metabolism of, of drugs and compounds that we take in. They synthesize of various uh, vitamins that we need, choline, vitamin K2, folate, Uh, they produce bile acids, they produce short-chain fatty acids, which end up being a fuel source for the enterocytes within our body. They help to stimulate and mature the the immune system, they protect us from infection, and they regulate oxidative stress. So they're really incredibly important, and the byproducts, uh, the metabolic products of those bacteria have an effect on many many different diseases within the body. You mentioned preventing infection, and I'm aware that there's growing evidence that dysbiosis or microbial imbalance of the microbiome is associated with different diseases. Could you explain what is meant by dysbiosis and where is the strength of evidence? Well, the strength of evidence is emerging quite quite broadly. You know, dysbiosis, uh, dysbacteriosis, was actually first defined uh, by Eli Metchnikoff, who won the Nobel Prize, uh, the fifth Nobel Prize in medicine in 1908. So it's something that's been discussed for a long period of time. But we see that dysbiosis, which really is a lack or a loss of diversity amongst all of the different microbiota present in the gut, uh, the, that loss of diversity is going to be different from people in different cultures who are eating different foods. Uh, that I like to tell my patients that you know diversity in Bangkok is different than diversity in Johannesburg is different than diversity in New York City. But nonetheless, we have we require a diversity of the microbiota in order to be able to perform all of the metabolic functions that are necessary. There is no core gut microbiome. That's not like it's the same. There's a core that's the same for everybody around the world and then variations on that theme. But rather, there are uh, there is no uniform core microbiome. We need to focus on having a diverse and rich and stable microbiome, which develops over our first uh, four to six years of life and then helps to support all of these functions through our life cycle. And are there specific diseases which we know are particularly associated with dysbiosis? 
Oh, that's a, uh, a loaded question, if you will. We, we certainly know that there are changes with irritable bowel syndrome or with inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis in particular, uh, but we have, we have seen that there are now diseases that, that emerge you know, from asthma and atopic illness, hypertension, ischemic heart disease, um, not only uh, obesity and cardiometabolic syndrome, a peripheral vascular disease, colon cancer, and even, you know, some, some neurologic conditions, including um, autism and mood and depression disorders. Um, some people are looking at things like cognitive impairment as well. So it may be that just about every disease that we know of has some kind of component that is influenced by the gut microbiome. A term you mentioned before and it's thrown around a lot is microbial diversity. Where do these microbial populations originally come from and then how do they change throughout life? Well, certainly the uh, the early life exposures that we have, uh, it used to be thought that the uh, the that the gut was sterile at the time of birth, although we now recognize that the amniotic fluid of the mother has some bacteria present in it, and that begins uh, the process of inoculation. Uh, then through the uh, the vaginal canal, if it's a vaginal birth, or it's a different set of things that arise if it's through a C-section coming through the, the skin. Uh, the diet, whether breast or bottle fed, uh, whether there's exposure to antibiotics, what the physical environment is uh, at the time over the first few years of life when solid foods are introduced, all of these factors will make a difference in terms of the development and, and the uh, emerging stability of the, of, the, of the microbiome. And if we talk about food specifically, do we know that different types of food affect the microbiome differently? Absolutely. So we know that uh, there's there's big differences that happen, you know, between those who are omnivores and those who are vegetarians. Uh, we see that the the development of certain bacteria that are particularly helpful for digesting fiber uh, can be can be noted in, in vegetarians in much higher concentrations than they are in in omnivores. In fact, as we begin to talk about uh, uh, about a- athletic performance, and we see uh, some very interesting studies, uh, such as one done by Lauren Peterson, where she looked at uh, uh, 35 different cyclists, and, and we found that in the in the professional cyclists that they measured, uh, they found that not only was there uh, an increase in the diversity, uh, but there were increases in specific kinds of bacteria, including those that help to break down methane. Uh, so they are more effective at complex carbohydrate fermentation, these, uh, these uh, cyclists, these professional cyclists. So it, it not only happens at the level of what you eat, but we can even see that it happens uh, by the way in which you exercise that will make a difference in the, the types and the amounts of bacteria that are present in the gut microbiome. And do we have data regarding different types of exercise? You're speaking about cyclists, perhaps endurance cyclists. Do we have data that shows a difference for resistance exercise or high intensity or low? This is an emerging field at this point in time in terms of uh, really being able to understand what the what the differences are. Some of the early studies uh, were done by the group out of Cork uh, looking at uh, professional rugby players and, and actually showing a difference you know, between those, uh, the, the, the larger 
uh, rugby players who played, if you will, in the line versus the backs who were smaller and had a, a lower BMI. We see that there are di- there is a difference in the distribution of bacteria uh, that are present in both of those groups. We also see a difference in the bacteria in uh, in ultra endurance athletes uh, that that goes on. So we find that depending upon what the BMI is and what the kinds of exercise you know that are done, uh, pet, the athletes who had uh, a low BMI like the rugby players with a lower BMI less than 25 had higher amounts of the anti-inflammatory acromancia than than did the uh, the the players with a higher BMI. So uh, we also see that there is a correlation uh, between uh, protein consumption and diversity. Uh, so exercise increases the diversity overall, and then the various kinds of protein intake will make a difference. In terms of the other questions you're asking around specific types of exercise and specific uh, aspects of the diversity of the microbiome, this is really where the emerging understanding is that's going on, and that is that increasing bacterial diversity does appear to not only help short-chain fatty acid production, but it also correlates with an increase in, in VO2 max. You mentioned protein before. Does it matter where you're getting the majority of your protein from in your diet? Well, that will change the types of bacteria that are present. Um, But really what we're talking about here is about the amounts of protein um, and that over over consumption of protein can be deleterious. um, But there's not a clear definition or a clear understanding of what the different types uh, of protein are and what their impact is on the on the variance or the variation in microbial diversity. And if we think about the diets that athletes are likely to follow, say a low-carb or ketogenic diet or a high-carb diet, do we know that these changes in macronutrient distribution affect the gut microbiome? We do. And in fact, you know, we've had, you and I have had this conversation before. And, and since, uh, since we've talked, I've, I've uh, seen a, a recent paper looking at the effects of the ketogenic diet on the on the gut microbiome and so we can see that uh that the ketogenic diet does fundamentally alter the the gut microbiome in individuals and that seems to have an impact um on specific uh kinds of uh of organisms including acromancia and parabacteroides that that help to have an impact that those are actually um, modified through the ketogenic diet and a lot of the research has been done not so much in athletics but actually in in children with seizures where the ketogenic diet has been used for literally as much as a hundred years so we have a long-term impact that we can see and we do see the alterations in gut microbiota in in that population it actually changes very rapidly the ketogenic diet makes a difference in the gut microbiome within days. And we can see the changes in in the gut microbiome uh, with any significant dietary change within a matter of days. And are those changes positive in nature? Well, it depends on what the diet is that that we're doing. So if we if we put someone on a you know someone who's an omnivore and we put them on a, on a vegetarian diet, you know we'll see changes in the overall um, makeup of what's going on. Um, we do see depending upon what the 
predispos genetic predisposition is, we may see improvements or worsening of diversity. So we want to be able to find the diets that are going to optimize our own personal uh, microbiome diversity. It seems that every news headline and wellness blogger is telling us that we should be eating more fermented foods for our mm -hmm. gut microbiome. Why mm -hmm. is it that fermented foods are supposedly so good for us? Well, let's, um, I'm going to uh, give a preamble to that, that question, and that is that you know, for many years there's been a focus on probiotics, and probiotics uh, have been demonstrated to be useful for specific disease conditions. Uh, but probiotics have not yet prove, proven the test of time that they really do help to improve overall immunologic health and well-being. Uh, probiotics are transient organisms, and they last in the gut anywhere from three to 14 days, but they don't last beyond that. So like tourists who are coming through, they can affect the economy of the gut, uh, but, they don't, but they don't necessarily have a long-term impact. So what we wanna do to really be able to help with diversity overall is we wanna use food. Uh, that is going to be the best way to do that. So having a diversity of foods, especially a diversity of phytonutrients, the multiple colors of the rainbow uh, of the different foods that we're eating and primarily in the vegetables that we're eating, that's where the best opportunity is. Now taking and fermenting those and allowing for an increase in uh, short chain fatty acid production and, and, and promoting uh, the development uh, as prebiotics uh, and probiotics within foods to be able to help support, that can be very helpful. But then there's also the downside, and a lot of it is marketing, because if you look at something like uh, a kombucha, Kombucha that's sold commercially has almost no active uh, culture in it um, because of the way in which it has to has been pasteurized. Now, kombucha that's made at home uh, does have a significant fermentation quality and, and live probiotics that are available to help be able to modify uh, the overall gut microbiome. You know, so there's a lot of hype and there is some value. In addition to kombucha, are there any other specific foods that you would recommend for helping cultivate gut microbiome? Well, it goes back to when I'm talking to patients, I'm really focusing on, you know, eating vegetables in the, in the diversity of color. That is that that diversity directly correlates to the diversity of the overall gut microbiome. And that's where I put my emphasis. So you can take, you know, and use kefirs and, um, and yogurts and things of that nature. Uh, you can use a coconut milk kefir, um, you know, using goat milk. I generally tend to stay away from dairy because it can, it can be um, you know, pro-inflammatory and cause some changes in, in permeability of the gut in some patients. So I tend to avoid that. And I encourage people to make the kefir or make the yogurts at home. Uh, we find when commercially available products are evaluated, only about 50% of them have live culture in them. And so if I was to go into the store and buy my favorite yogurt brand, you're saying that that would not be sufficient? Well, it's, uh, you got a 50-50 chance uh, in terms of that, you know, and one way to be able to determine uh, is there something really there is, is use that yogurt that you're buying in the store as a starter culture and see, can I make yogurt from it? 
And if, if you have yogurt that happens, if you have the fermentative process that happens, then you know that you've got live organisms in, the, in the, what you purchased from the store. Uh, but I've had many patients who have come to me and said they've tried that and, and they don't get any growth because they don't get any, any you know, fermentation of the milk in order to be able to make their own yogurt because what they started with didn't have any live culture present in it. Dr. Hanover, if we go back to probiotics for a second, what do you think is the role of probiotics within sport today? Well, that's a question that uh, that many people are asking. And when we when we look at the literature, and I, I tend to not be concept driven but data driven in in my approaches to this, what we see is that the you know there there are changes that go on with exercise, changes that may actually, especially with uh, any kind of strenuous or, or prolonged exercises, where we may see changes uh, not only in uh, in hypoperfusion of the gut, but in in permeability and leakiness that goes on and the production uh, so within this process you know we have the ability to use probiotics to help to support that to help with the epithelial barrier to help with the production of anti-inflammatory mediators uh, but the data around around probiotics themselves in athletes has primarily focused on uh, in terms of the positive data has primarily said that you know it decreases the risk of upper respiratory tract infections it does that through increasing you know nk cell activity increasing antimicrobial proteins enhancing the innate immune system uh, so by doing this and and uh, and working uh, to Im- improve the secretory IgA, which gets diminished with uh, with exercise, uh, probiotics have clearly been shown to decrease the risk of upper respiratory infection in athletes. Now, does it have an effect? The question then becomes: You know, does it have a clear impact overall on any inflammatory conditions, on any kinds of infections? Does it help to boost the immune system overall? And while there's a desire to be able to show that, the few studies that have been done initially have not shown uh, an impact of probiotics having an overall effect on strengthening the immune system in athletes or in individuals, uh, non-athletic individuals as well. So the data, the data says it's going to help you uh, to not have URIs, uh, but it's not going to help your overall immune system. Dr. Hanaway, can you provide our listeners with a few practical takeaway points, how they can use all of this knowledge in their practice? Well, the thing, the first thing to me is to recognize that uh, over time, over the past 100 years or so, we have seen a significant loss of diversity uh, in the gut microbiome, as we've seen a significant loss of, of diversity in many of our ecological niches and, and bioclimes. So it is important and it is it does cause problems and changes of permeability. And the ways to be able to, to work with it are primarily through the use of um, whole foods, primarily plant-based, you know, eat foods, mostly plants, not too much, as Michael Pollan says, and to be able to promote an expanse of the diversity overall 
uh, within the gut microbiome. And this is going to help to uh, strengthen and support the immune system, strengthen and have uh, uh, more diversity in the, in the gut microbiome to allow for those activities that I spoke around about that are around, you know, digestion and absorption of foods, synthesis of, of vitamins and short-chain fatty acids, you know, helping to, um, to, to stimulate and support the immune system, dealing with oxidative stress. Those things are necessary and important for specific disease states probiotics can and in fact should be used as, as a therapeutic agent in patients who are taking antibiotics uh, for some reason using uh, probiotics the probiotic of Saccharomyces boulardii which is made from brewer's yeast uh, can be helpful to uh, minimize uh, significantly decrease the risk of antibiotic associated C. diff as well as antibiotic associated uh, diarrhea both of those are diminished significantly with the co-administration of Saccharomyces boulardii. And because SACB is not a bacteria, it's a yeast from brewer's yeast, it is not degraded uh, or killed by the antibiotic. So those are some ways in which we can work to help support um, the individuals. We also see, and we haven't spent a lot of time with this, but there is now emerging data that is telling us that, that actually exercise in and of itself can have an impact on improving uh, the diversity of the microbiota. We know that food makes a difference, and we know that uh, microbial, fecal microbial transplant can make a difference, which is used in, in certain severe cases of, for example, Clostridium difficile. Uh, but now we're beginning to see that exercise as an independent variable uh, does have an effect on being able to improve the diversity of the gut microbiome, which I think is just really fascinating and you know, changes the whole conversation about the importance of exercise in terms of our overall health and well-being. Dr. Hannaway, I think that's a great place to end it. As always, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very, very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank and thank you. you to our listeners for joining us to discuss this exciting new area of research. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Patrick Hannaway. You can follow BJSM and stay up to date via the usual social media channels or download the BJSM app where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles, blog posts, and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day. Mm-hmm.